Proverbs chapter 22, verses 17 to 29. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you. I have not written 30, I have not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. Do not make friends with hot-tempered men. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts, If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. Our second reading reading is from Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 31 to 46. That's on page 702. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me pray. Father, as uh, Moses stood before the Israelites, he said these words, What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. 
Father, you have given us your word, your revelation of truth for our own good. You have shown us uh, the way of truth. And Father, as we continue to uh, digest your word now, Father, we pray that you would uh, change our hearts. May we see the world as you see the world, love people as you uh, love people, that all may know that you are God. Amen. In, uh, in 1732, uh, pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards made this huge call. This is what he said. It is the most absolute and indispensable duty of the people of God to give bountifully and willingly to supply the needs of the poor. It is the most absolute and indispensable duty of the people of God to give bountifully and willingly to supply the needs of the poor. It's a staggering statement, isn't it? You know, as I read this quote from Jonathan Edwards, two things struck me. The first thing is that it's true. As we read throughout Proverbs, and as we broaden out and we read throughout the whole of Scripture, over and over again, we see how much the Bible emphasizes the importance and our duty for God's people to care for those who are poor. And the second thing that had struck me was that, now if I'm going to be honest here, for such a massive theme throughout the whole Bible, I'd never really given it a whole lot of thought. The care of the poor is such an essential part of what it means to be one of God's people. Now for those of you who like structure, we've got two points really tonight. And the first point is this. It is our duty as God's people, clearly presented in Proverbs and throughout Scripture, to care for the poor. And the second point is that this care is deeply rooted in our understanding and experience of God's justice. They're the two points, and then we'll finish up at the end by considering what it looks like for you and for me to pursue this justice in our world. You know, twice in the opening chapters of Proverbs, we're told the reason why these were written. Proverbs wasn't written like every other self-help book. They weren't, wasn't written to help people get rich. It wasn't written to help people get in the world. It wasn't written as a way for people to win friends and influence people. We read in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3, that it is about receiving instruction in prudent behaviour doing what is right and just and fair. And just skipping on to the next chapter, we read that by listening to the wisdom of Proverbs, we will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. You know, Proverbs is a book that has been written, this collection of wise sayings, to help us live in God's world in the way that is right and just and fair. So what does this wisdom from Proverbs tell us about the right, just, and fair way to regard the poor? As we continue our series in Proverbs, we're going to look at three chapters from this book. And and each chapter is going to refer to either the poor or the needy. Now, for each of us, poor is a subjective term. um, And for most of us, we think of it in uh, purely financial boundaries. So, One person might think poor 
and think someone who's living in deepest, darkest Africa. Another person might hear the word poor and think someone who's earning less than 100 grand a year. Everyone's got their own idea of what poor looks like. But when the Bible uses this description, it's describing a category that's far broader than just finances, how much money you, you have or how many possessions you own. Poor is describing a category of people who are vulnerable, powerless, weak, and open to oppression and exploitation. So in the time that Proverbs was written, poor meant a number of different types of people groups. There were, and there always will be, the financially poor. There are those who are orphans and widows, outside of any social structure of care. And there were those who were the the immigrants, the refugees, the aliens, the foreigners. And God's people were told, in particular, these are those types of people that they should care for. But in every culture, the poor, the vulnerable, the weak, are different. And so in our culture, in our world today, uh, we think in categories like those people who can't read or write. Ours is a culture all about reading and writing. And when you can't do that, you're vulnerable. There are the elderly. There's the homeless. There are abused women and abused children. There are the millions of children who are in the child's sex trade. There are those who are physically disabled and and the mentally ill. There are international students, uh, minority ethnic groups, people who come to our country who can't speak English. And I'm sure that you can think of many more. This category of the poor is a broad one. And so how does wisdom say that we should treat these vulnerable people? We're going to look at three passages from Proverbs. Firstly, and these passages will appear on the screen, is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. It's huge, isn't it? The way that we treat the poor and the needy ultimately reflects back on God. So when we oppress the poor, intentionally or or unintentionally, that shows contempt for God who made them. And when we are kind for them and care for their needs, that honours God. We can't disconnect the horizontal relationships that we have with one another from the vertical relationship that we have with God. We can't treat people one way and say, hey God, this has actually got nothing to do with you. This is just between me and this other person. The way that we relate to one another ultimately reflects back on God. And so the way that we treat the poor and the needy ultimately results in God being scorned and and his name being trashed or his name being honoured, lifted up, glorified as people see God for who he really is. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. And this passage just goes another level deeper and reveals an even more personal connection between us and the good that we do for the poor and the Lord himself. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. When we care for the poor, 
It's as if we're caring for the Lord himself. Just let that sink in. When we care for the poor, it's as if we're caring for the Lord himself. Now, I want you to picture, uh, picture Jesus walking in the back of church tonight. He comes in the back row and we meet him. Maybe we meet him in the coffee break or we meet him afterwards and uh, it's very clear he's, he's wearing a name tag. It's, it's Jesus. Um, and he, uh, he lets us know that uh, he's got some needs. Uh, he doesn't have anywhere to stay tonight. In fact, he doesn't have any, anything to eat. And uh, he needs some money. Now, my bet is that we would be falling over each other to take care of him. We'd be falling over each other. Oh, Jesus, I've got um, spaghetti bolognese. You can come home and have spaghetti bolognese. Jesus, I'll take you to Bangkok Sidewalk. Jesus, there is a great restaurant in town. We'll go there afterwards. Jesus, I'd love to look after you. Come and stay at my place. Come and stay at the Hilton. I'll put you up there for a year. Jesus, I, I just want to honour you. You are so amazing. I want to take care of you. And I'm sure that none of us would have the hide to ask Jesus to pay us back. So Jesus, I'll buy you some dinner tonight, but uh, it's 25 bucks. Next week is fine. We would never do that to Jesus. But I wonder, if a homeless person were to walk in the back of church tonight, would they receive the same reception from us? When we care for those who are in need, it's like we're caring for the Lord himself. And this was the picture that Jesus painted for us in Matthew 25, that passage that Bonnie just read out. There's, there's two groups of, groups of people who are coming before the Lord on the last day. And we read in verse, verse 34, the king, Jesus, will, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Do you see the connection between our care for the the poor and the needy, and especially those of, of the family of believers and, and God himself. And when we take care of these people, it's like we're caring for the king. Now, what a privilege. And what a responsibility at the same time that God has given us to care. Well, lastly, from, from Proverbs, we're going to look at chapter 29, verse 7. And says this, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. This verse is showing us that our pursuit of justice for the poor ultimately reveals our true spiritual state. It's like a boxing ring. You've got the blue corner and the red corner. In the blue corner, you've got the righteous who who care about justice for the poor. And in the red corner, you've got the wicked who have no such concern. In a boxing ring, there's no kind of middle ground. You're in one corner or the other. And Proverbs 29, 7 is is telling us this, this same message, that there is no middle ground. 
There's not the righteous who have no concern for the poor and the wicked who care about justice. You're either righteous and your concern is for the justice for the poor or you're wicked and you don't care. And the Bible, as it so often does, paints this issue in black and white. And so we're forced to ask ourselves, well, well, which am I? Do I care for justice for the poor? Or is it of no concern to me whatsoever? Now these are just, just three passages, and there's many more in Proverbs and many more throughout the rest of Scripture that deal with our attitude and our actions towards those who are poor and in need. And what is striking as we look over each of these passages is that it's never seen as an optional extra for the people of God. This is our Christian duty. And so we need to ask, well, why is this such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because God really cares about justice and God hates injustice. When we talk about justice, we need to realize that the way the Bible uses this word as well is, is far broader than our common legal definition. To do justice Bible style is about the whole person, the whole society, the whole community, looking at what its well-being should be. So the pursuit of justice in the Bible means the pursuit of equal treatment for all people. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what school you went to or where you were born or, or what religion you have, treating all people the same. Justice means giving people their rights. And this is broad as well. It means punishing people who do wrong. It means caring for those who are the victims. It means standing up when we see evil and, and injustice taking place. It means providing for the basic needs of those people uh, who are in need. It means working for communities of rightness, where everything is just right, where relationships are right, where there is harmony and fairness and generosity, where people are able to flourish as people, as the people that God created them to be. You see this big picture of what justice looks like in the Bible. It could be described as a generosity and a social concern for the good of the people God created. This is what the Bible means when it's talking about justice. Now, justice is at the bedrock of, of the Christian life because it is the character of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we read these words. It's a great, a, a great uh, memory verse. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. See what God is doing here for the poor and needy. He's defending them. He's loving them. He's providing for them. And can you see what a liberating truth and doctrine this is of God's justice for the people who are weak and poor and vulnerable in our society 
And the people who are weak and vulnerable and poor in our church tonight? Can you see how, how good this is that in a world that says day in, day out that your worth is tied up in your health, in your job, in your possessions, in how you look, in the friends that you have, that the school that you went to, that the education you've received, when the world says those things, that, that is everything in your identity. And if you don't have those things, then you're worthless. And God says, none of those things matter to me. And I care about you, and I care about justice for you, and I am your defender and your provider. Can you see, for, for many of us, we're not the, the, the victims of injustice. Some are, but many of us, this isn't true. But for so many in this world, this is a liberating truth, that God is their defender and their provider. And he will take care of them, even if no one else will. But for those of us who have been adopted into the family of God, it is our duty and our privilege to live in his image, to display God to the world. That's what we're doing. As we're doing justice, we are displaying God to the world. We're showing the world what God is really like. So how are we going at this? Hard questions I was asking myself this week. How am I going at this? Well, not very well is uh, the answer. In his book, Generous Justice, Kimberly is going to review this for us uh, next week, Tim Keller makes this point. He says, Many people who are evidently Christians do not demonstrate much concern for the poor. How do we account for that? I would like to believe that a heart for the poor sleeps down in a Christian soul until it is awakened. Until it is awakened. So how do we awaken that concern for the, for the poor? There are lots of people who try to guilt us into giving. Every time I walk past the station at Kirribilli, there's someone there from... Fred Hollows or some other organisation telling me that if I forgo my coffee this afternoon, some child won't die. And guilt is their primary tactic. They've got all the messages, they've been geared up to say, guilt people into giving, and you'll encourage them to give to the poor. But guilt is not a long-term motivator, and it easily slips from our mind. No, friends, a heart for the poor is not awakened by guilt, it's only going to be awakened by the gospel. It's only going to be awakened by the gospel. Let, re, let me remind you of the gospel. The king and the creator of the universe entered into our broken world. He was born as a defenseless, dependent baby in a stable among farm animals. And while foxes have holes to live in and birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He spent his days with the poor and the marginalized, all of those whose society hated and despised and had cast out Jesus had time for. He arrived in Jerusalem for his final days on earth and he borrowed a donkey. He spent his last night in a rented room. 
He was the victim of a grossly unjust trial. And he, the innocent, went to the cross when the guilty Barabbas was set free. The grossest miscarriage of justice. And he died that day on that cross, naked, penniless, possessionless, and homeless. He exited the world with nothing. And when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. It is a complete picture of poverty. And why did Jesus do this? Well, as 2 Corinthians tells us, that for our sake he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Friends, that is why Jesus went to the cross. When we were poor, when we were helpless, when we were hopeless and we were broken, Jesus saw us and he became like one of us and he entered into the mess that is our world so that we could become like him. And so that all the riches and the blessings that are tied up with being a child of God, a child of the King, might become our own. And so friends, when we grasp this, our concern and our action for others in their need flows out of the concern and the action that God had for us in our need. That is the only true, constant way that that we will have this passion for for the poor awakened in our soul. When we see what God has done for us in our poverty, becoming poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Do you see how the gospel makes us just? I love this quote from Milton Vincent. He says, like nothing else could ever do, the gospel instills in me a heart for the downcast, the poverty-stricken, and those in need of physical mercies. When I see persons who are materially poor, I instantly feel a kinship with them, for they are physically what I was spiritually when my heart was closed to Christ. Perhaps some of them are in in their condition because of sin, but so was I. Perhaps they are unkind when I try to help them, but I too have been spiteful to God when he sought to help me. Perhaps they are thankless and even abuse the kindness I show them. But how many times have I been thankless and used what God has given to me for selfish ends? The gospel reminds me daily of the spiritual poverty into which I was born and also of the staggering generosity of Christ toward me. Such reminders instill in me both a felt connection to the poor and a desire to show them the same generosity that has been lavished on me. When ministering to the poor with these motivations, I not only preach the gospel to them through word and deed, but I reenact the gospel to my own benefit as well. It's great stuff, isn't it? Do you see how the pursuit of this justice in our world shows that we not only get the gospel, but it demonstrates this gospel to the world. And that's why it's so important for us to pursue this justice. And when we do, it is a beautiful picture. And this reality is why uh, Tim Keller can conclude in his book that anyone who has truly being touched by the grace of God will be vigorous in helping the poor. Anyone 
who has truly been touched by the grace of God will be vigorous, vigorous in helping the poor. So what would it look like for us as God's people here in 2011 to be vigorous in helping the poor? Well, there's a lot to be said on this topic, but I uh, am not going to say all of it. I'm going to suggest a three-pronged approach to uh, our vigorous help. Friends, the first thing we need to do is pray, don't we? We need to pray. Some of us, myself included, as I've been doing this week, will need to ask God for his forgiveness for not sharing his passion for justice. And you may need to join me in praying for forgiveness. We need to pray for a heart that reflects God's heart for the people that he's created. And for the gospel to not be a a stale memory, but a living truth that transforms how we live in this world. We're going to need to pray for courage to do what is costly and uncomfortable and self-sacrificial and completely countercultural, loving like we have been loved and, and loving our neighbour as ourselves. And friends, if you don't want a, a life of costly sacrifice, of daily dying to yourself, then Christianity is, is not for you. Because this is bread and butter of, of the Christian faith. We're going to need to pray for for wisdom and for discernment as we seek to do the justice of God in a world that is very messy and filled with broken, many broken people. We need to pray. But secondly, I think we need to consider. Sometimes we need to just take a moment and Consider how we might respond. A lot of things happen here at at Church by the Bridge. A lot of ministries are run. But maybe there's particular gifts that God has given you and insights that he has given you into this world, into the people that live in this world that might lead you to action. We are on the whole, and I speak on the whole, I know this isn't true of everyone, But we are on the whole people with great wealth and great education and great power and great influence. More than most people in the world. And as the the old saying goes, with great power comes great responsibility. Jesus is very clear about this. One day he's going to come back and he's going to say, hey, these are all the things that I gave you. How'd you go with it? Gave you some money? Did you bury it in the ground? Did you take it off to the bank and do lots of good with it? Proverbs 31 urges us, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So amidst all this exhortation in Proverbs to do what is right and just and fair for the needy, we need to consider what that might look like for us as as individuals and for us as a church. And there are some questions that we might use to, to ponder this. We might look around in Kiribili or where we live, we might say, well, how could this community be better for all? Not just for me, 
but how could it be a better, thriving community for all the people who live here? Where do I see injustice? How are people being exploited or victimised or oppressed? How are people disadvantaged? Where are people suffering? Who are the voiceless and the defenceless? And how can I speak up on their behalf? Where are the wrongs that need to be righted? Where are relationships broken? Who is in need and how can I provide for their needs? And I've, uh, I've provided a list of, of those questions in your Bibles in a handout tonight so that now after the service, when you go home tonight, you can continue to consider what it might look like to do justice with the skills and the energies and the passion and the finances that God has given you. But finally, this is our last point for tonight, we need to act. We need to do something. We need to do justice. This is the call of the gospel on our lives. Now, sometimes I think it can be helpful to provide concrete examples of what it looks like to put the truth of God's word into practice. But I'm also aware that sometimes it can be unhelpful because sometimes as these are read out, people think in their minds, couldn't do that, couldn't do that, couldn't do that, couldn't do that, I'm off the hook. Now, these examples that I'm going to share aren't meant to be a prescriptive list of what you should or what you should do. There are literally millions of ways that we as individuals or as a church could make God's justice a closer reality to the people in our world. But here's just a couple to get you thinking. There's Haley who cared for a person in our community who didn't have a home and couldn't read or write, so was unable to fill out the application form to get government housing. It's a simple example of pursuing justice. There's the car dealer who realised that those people who are poor are often very bad at negotiating a better price on a car. And those people were being disadvantaged. So he made all his cars in the showroom the best possible price he could do so they wouldn't have to bargain it down and they wouldn't be exploited. There's the lawyer who uses their legal skills on a regular basis to provide legal aid to those people who can't afford a lawyer from the big end of town. As Haley told us earlier today, there's that group of people who went and loved that man down the street um, whose house had got out of control and cared for him for a couple of hours this afternoon. There's Mark and his wife who moved from a very comfortable existence to the poorest neighbourhood in Baltimore, the first white family to ever move to this neighbourhood to set up a church and ministries to care for the people who live there. Can you imagine that, intentionally moving to a poor neighbourhood? There's the Moore College student who I heard about this week who met a homeless person on the street and invited them to come and live at his place. And did you know that two children every minute are sold into slavery, and usually sex slavery? Two children every minute, all around the world. God have mercy on us for not doing more to care for those children. And there are organisations like Love 146 and the International Justice Mission 
where men go to Thailand and other South Asian countries and bust into these illegal brothels and pull these kids out, kids who don't even have a name anymore, they're simply a number, and pull them away from disgusting perverts who seek to buy them and give them a hope and a home and a future. That's doing justice. Now, there are some extreme ends of justice, like that one that I just mentioned, and there's very basic spending half an hour to fill out um, an employment application, a, a housing application form. There are many ways that we can pursue this. But friends, the call of the gospel on our lives is to do justice.